in a book entitled The Rise of the New Puritans, Noah Rothman suggests that there has been a war on fun and happiness. We live in an age of constant judgment. Whether it is the wearing of clothes and watching whether or not the clothes that we wear contain or do not contain particular messaging that may offend others, fear of enjoying football for fear that someone may judge us for advocating violence, or even enjoying new cuisine or fusion food, fearing that we may be inadvertently culturally misappropriating cultural elements there seems to be the rise of a hypocritical morality that is devoid of grace and empathy. Now, just perhaps Rothman's analysis is a bit over the top. Because certainly as Christians, we ground ourselves, we ground everything that we say and do in the ethic and worldview of Jesus Christ, because Jesus is our Lord. Our values and moral vision are to be based on the life-giving ethic of Jesus, so that all may draw near to him, and all may find life. For in Christ, all of us have value. We, as disciples of Jesus, are called to bring people together in love, and never, ever denigrate the inherent worth of another human being because all human beings are our neighbors. Nevertheless, Rothman does have a point, I think, when it comes to contemporary society as being consistently judgmental. Such judgment creates a culture where one virtue signals, not based on true fidelity to the virtue that's being signaled, rather signaling because we fear of being judged by others. Rothman writes, not since the Puritans has a political movement wanted so much power over our thoughts, hobbies, and preferences every minute of our day. In that process, they are sucking out the joy out of life. It seems that Rothman, in his analysis of contemporary times and correlation with the Puritans, might as well be describing the Pharisees and the scribes in our gospel today. Just take a look at the gospel. In our gospel, the Pharisees and scribes embody the ethic of the original Puritans in their heckling and grumbling of Jesus. Our New Testament translators are, are, are pretty generous to the Pharisees and scribes. The literal translation of their saying is, you know, that one over there, he's the one who welcomes sinners and eats with them and esteems them. It's, it's really a sign of derision a lack of respect towards Jesus. 
uh, because they don't consider Jesus to be one of them, one of the scholars, one of uh, the people who is authorized to, to give the word of God. Their words for Jesus are pretty piercing because they just mock him with utter derision. And in the midst of that, Jesus responds by telling them uh, three parables, two of which we heard today. Uh, which one of you, having a hundred sheep, would not leave the ninety-nine in search of the lost one? And what about the woman who loses the one coin and diligently looks for it? Jesus points to the vision of God and points out that the ones who are lost are not the tax collectors and the sinners. When Jesus says, which one of you would not do that, well, the Pharisees and the scribes would not leave the 99 behind to search for the one. They wouldn't bother to, lose, to, to look for the lost coin. They'd rather do their cost-benefit analysis and say that the economic value of doing that doesn't make any sense. Yet Jesus points out to the vision of God and points to them something very significant. For the sinners and the tax collectors are searching for a way out of sin and the shackles that prevent them from experiencing God in profound ways. And as they come forward, they acknowledge Jesus as pointing the way towards God's love and mercy. In a quick turn of things, what Jesus is doing is saying that the ones who are really lost are not them, but the Pharisees and the scribes who keep thinking that they are righteous and that their exacting laws are the way to experience God's mercy and love. Yet Jesus is the good shepherd. He seeks them out actively. He suggests that they open themselves to loving and acting like the Spirit of God rather than adhering to the strict letter of the law. Because when they open up to the Spirit of God, heaven rejoices. Because the experience of God transforms us. It is a path of love, mercy, kindness, and above all, joy. And it is a spirit that neither mocks nor judges others based on exacting standards. That all of us, if we're really honest with ourselves, all of us, come short of living into. You see, God in Jesus meets people where they are. And God meets us in our deep need for transformation and redemption. Sometimes we as the church, we too miss the mark. In our zeal for living into the values of the gospel and righteousness, Sometimes we too miss the mark, the fundamental notion of God's love for this world. Wendell Berry, in his latest book, The Need to Be Whole, addresses the entirety of the church. He alludes that churches and institutions that desire to stand on the side of God's justice 
Sometimes we sort of replicate the new Puritans that Rothman was talking about. And Barry reminds us that in order for us to actually make the cause of God known, God's love and justice and mercy known in this world, we need to be more loving. So rather than me expounding on it, let me just read from Wendell Berry for just a few seconds. Wendell Berry writes, It will be easy for the side of love first to understand love merely as opposite and opposed to hate, and then to generalize this opposition as an allegorical battle of love versus hate, exchanging slogan for slogan, gesture for gesture, shout for shout. Then if nature and the rule of battle go unchecked, the side of love begins to hate the side of hate. And then the lovers are defeated, for they have defeated themselves. They have fallen into the sort of trap that Mr. Jefferson set for, among others, himself. For if you say, all men are created equal, then add, except for some, the exception overturns the rule, and a great deal else along with it. Just so, love that hates has canceled itself. It cannot survive its hatred of hate any more than one can survive minus one, for it is no more. Chaos and old night have come again. With us, love has been reduced mostly to a popular word, easy to use it to intensify a frivolous appreciation. Oh, how I love it, we say, when told of something really cute. Or it can be used as a handy weapon against the haters of whom we disapprove. Too bad. But love comes into our civilization as the church. The Gospels being the source best known to me as a way of being in the world. It is a force extraordinarily demanding and humbling, dangerous too, for those who attempt to take it seriously are sometimes put to death. As a force and a way of being, love is never satisfied with partiality. It is compelled by its own nature and logic to be always trying to make itself whole. That's why the Sermon on the Mount, for instance, tells us to love our enemies. That's a pretty unconditional statement. It does not tell us to fight our enemies in order to improve them or convert them by our love. For in this practice, this commandment seems to cancel or delete enemy as a category of thought. So, brothers and sisters, our invitation today is to examine Examine ourselves. Examine our life as a church. Have we erected the walls of new Puritanism by replicating the actions of the Pharisees and scribes? Do we carry the attitude of the Pharisees and scribes who deride Jesus? Examine. You know, whatever we are, I think with humility, 
if we just look at the words of St. Paul in his epistle to Timothy, we will recognize that all of us have come short and have really missed the mark of God's intention to live and to love abundantly. So I ask you this question as well. Do we recognize how lost we are? Jesus calls us and invites us, knowing where we are, and seeks a relationship. So what's preventing us? What's preventing you from experiencing the non-judgmental love that transforms us? There is hope. The hope is when we acknowledge that we are sinners and tax collectors who perpetually need to hear and be with Jesus, we receive grace beyond grace, love beyond love, and compassion and empathy flow from our eyes like an ever-rolling stream. And thus, our Pharisaic and Puritanical tendencies begin to wither away, and we see the world as Jesus sees it. And it is through this, and through this, and by this, that we carry the work of Jesus into this world that so desperately needs it.